Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here for Fireside Chat number... 247. 247. If that voice is a little unfamiliar to you, it is Megan, but not the Megan. It's very confusing. Megan is about to give birth, we hope. (laughs) But this week should be the week. It was on the fireside chat that I found out she was pregnant. You, some of you may recall. And now we have another Megan. Anyone who takes care of this show has to be named Megan. It's just, it's in the contract. And what would you say? 200 what? 47. 247. Wow. Otto got up. And I don't like, if he gets up in the middle of the fireside chat, I can live with it. But to get up beforehand, so my wife bribed him with a chewy. Ergo, you're you're going to hear some chewing this time. You'll notice that he has a shaved backside there or back leg. He's doing great. He had some surgery on his leg, and he's doing great. Walks up and down the staircase, takes long walks. All is good. We're very uh, very happy about that. Those of you who were uh, uh, quite young. A lot of young people watch this, which is, by the way, worthy of its own interesting analysis. Why do so many young people watch the fireside chat? I am not young. So here I think about this periodically, because when I walk through airports, uh, I'm stopped a lot for selfies and just people say kind things, people of all ages. But it's disproportionately young people who, who come over. And the fireside chat is particularly young people. So, number one, I have an interesting observation. And this is really spontaneous because this is not at all what I said I would talk about. How relevant is age to holding the interest of a young person? It's a very interesting question, and I am in a very rare position to be able to answer it because I began lecturing at 21. So I have talked to young people uh, at, at, every, at, at every age for 50 years. That's a very long experience. I have found, if anything... They pay more attention, they paid more, or do pay more attention as I've gotten older. So, in fact, if you're 25 and your audience is 25, you have a real challenge of being taken seriously. Why is this kid telling me how to think? So it was a, it was not easy at that, at, I mean, I was, I was successful, so to speak, but it was not easy. There is a built-in respect for age in young people. Uh, that's what I, I have discovered, which I did not know earlier. In other words, people want older people to actually offer them insight, wisdom, help, advice. There, there is, uh, uh, it's built into the human condition, I, I am convinced. If anything, the West, especially in the United States, started the idea that old is irrelevant. 
that, you know, never trust anyone over 30. One of the many stupid ideas of my generation, the baby boomers, which even when I was 18, I thought, that's ridiculous. The people I most respect are 3,000 years old, right? <laughs> like Moses. I had a lot of respect for Moses. He was 3,200 years old. He was way over, the, over 30. I, I always thought it was an idiotic idea. Now, and I, I never worshipped youth, and I never worshipped old age. But, but I, I had this belief that I could learn something from older people, which is true. By the way, it's a very real problem that most young people don't have many older people in their lives as much as they used to in the past. In the past, people were, you know, they had grandparents around constantly uh, and, and other older people. And, uh, and, and now that is not true. Grandparents live in other places very often, as I do with my own grandchildren. So it, it's, it's a loss. But back to my the question I was asking, why do so many young people watch this? So my, my theory, are you doing all right? All good? Are you good? Take a nap. So my theory is, and, and I'll bet, I know you never heard this. So I believe that young people are very much attracted to real. Okay, all right, look, what can we do? He had his Chewy, and now he's leaving. It was in his contract. Now he's in his contract to stay a half hour. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to say. I want to tell you a lesson I learned. I was once giving a talk at a synagogue uh, and I was, I was in my early 20s or mid-20s, and a woman came over to me after the talk, and she said, I can't believe it. My nine-year-old son sat and listened. So when the rabbi speaks, he leaves. He sat through your entire speech. I was shocked. It was one of the, actually, it was one of the greatest compliments I ever got, that a nine-year-old found me interesting enough to stay. So I realized two things, and it, 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 was, it was transformative, that, that little experience. One, if you are clear, young people listen. Clarity is critical. Old people listen to word salad. It, it, it's I, I, I'm not trying to say young or better than old. That's nonsense. It's all individual. They're awesome old people, awesome young people, awful old people, awful young people. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there's a there's a built-in boredom. You get more bored easily when you're younger. So if the speaker isn't really clear that. The, a younger person will tune out and an older person will, will keep listening to try to make something out of the word salad that they're hearing. So one is I'm clear. I know I'm clear. I, I'm not complimenting myself. I, I know I'm clear like I know, I'm, I know my height, okay? Uh, the, the other is the real, that uh, it, it's, it's very attractive, uh, real, and, and 
I, I don't know how not to be real. I don't, I don't, I, to be honest. But I think those are two reasons that, uh, that this is very appealing to younger people. I've never reflected on that fact, but, it, but it's, it's an interesting observation. So that really sort of took up the whole opening monologue. <laughs> but I still want to say something that I wanted to say before I distracted myself. But I always distract myself. I never lose the train of thought, but distraction is very important because it may be a point that is worth noting. And, you know, it's like a station I want to get off the train at and see and see the environment, take, take some nice pictures. It's really got great mountains. Talking about great mountains, that was a joke. That was a total joke. I just... <laughs> If I got Nathan to laugh, it's a very serious point. I, I out of that, that was a good one. You got to admit. <laughs> and talking about Nathan. <laughs> okay, now I can't hound you. You have a boyfriend. I do. The second Megan has a boyfriend. Megan one definitely has a boyfriend. <laughs> She's married to her boyfriend. <laughs> Anyway, my task is to get Nathan married, and uh, so far I'm a failure. <laughs> I, uh, okay, I, I feel bad. I just had to say that. Okay, uh, I, this is super serious, though. Uh, for for you younger folks uh, there, and I, I'm sure I've mentioned this in the past, but I don't for whatever reason it's just it haunts me that you've been deprived of the best things in life. And I don't mean a house or food or travel. I don't mean any of that. The best things in life are sources of, of meaning and happiness, which usually go together, but not always, as I'll say in a moment. And I'm, th I'm thinking of the words God and country, which have been mocked. They've been completely mocked. God and country. Oh, you know, that's what the fascists believe in. That is what people are taught. That's what fascists believe in. By the way, they may well believe in God and country. It isn't my God they believe in, or they wouldn't be a fascist. Uh, and country, yes. It is, there is nothing, nothing that cannot be used for good and evil. Nothing. So the notion that, oh, you believe in your country, well, so did the Germans under Hitler, and so did the Soviets under Stalin, and so, and then you go down the list, and the Japanese fascists in World War II, they, they were virtually worshipped their country. So, can you tell me anything that cannot be used for both good or evil? How about love? Oh. Well, love is a perfect example of good and evil. Who about the people who love uh, who loved Stalin or Hitler? They loved them. L love has to have moral categories, just as everything else. So does nationalism. There's good nationalism and there's bad nationalism. There's good love and there's bad love. There's you name it. There's good religion and there's bad religion. There's good belief in God and there's bad belief in God. So it's a simplistic mind that tells you nationalism is bad. Some is and some isn't. Some is terrific. 
I grew up with a deep belief in, in my religion, in my case, Judaism, and in, my, and in God, the God of the Bible. And in America, I loved America. I believe in America. When I was a kid, television stations would stop broadcasting usually at midnight. And if I was ever up at midnight, which starting in high school was common, I would, uh, I, I, I almost never watched TV. I was, I never found TV interesting, which was a blessing as it turns out. But anyway, if I would watch at midnight, they would sign off. Then there would be nothing till like 5 a.m., just blank. And there was no such thing then as 24-hour television. And they would have the national anthem with the flag waving. And I remember being very touched by it. I, I got the chills. And when the, the Star Spangled Banner is done well, I still get the chills. When I conducted uh, a symphony at the Disney Concert Hall a few, a few years ago, we ended the concert with the orchestra. I was playing accordion. The man who was the permanent conductor of the Santa Monica Symphony, which is the orchestra we, I conducted, and then he conducted a piece. And he played the saw. He was very talented. He was a member of the violin section of the LA Philharmonic, Los Angeles Philharmonic. And I played the accordion, and, and it was America the Beautiful. And everybody stood up, 2,400 people, I think it was. And everybody, I mean, you could, there was no dry eye in, 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 the, in the audience. Beautiful patriotism is a very, very filling thing. When I've been to 130 countries, when I, when I speak to people in the country, I remember in Bulgaria, I, 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 when I was in my 20s, I used to go to communist countries a lot. It was communist then in Bulgaria. And I remember talking to a young woman, my favorite thing to do. And uh, she told me, I said, what are you studying? She said, Bulgarian history and, and, and language. And I thought, that's beautiful. I, it's good if a country produces kids who, are, who love their country. It's a good thing. You don't love it when it's evil or you love it but you think it's evil. You, you, you don't abandon moral categories. You love your child, but if your child is a murderer, <laughs> you know, you're stuck in, in a terrible position because if you're moral, I'm sorry, I, I can't, I don't love murderers. Or you are still, you're, you're evil and I have some residue of love for you. But if your country is good, and America has been largely good, to have that and to have religion is a very filling thing. And most of you were given neither or neither. That's a loss. That's why it's filled with phony religion. G.K. Chesterton, a brilliant English thinker, writer, the end of the 19th, early 20th century, he said a great line. He said, when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. That's what I think when I hear men give birth. People believe in anything. It's, it's overwhelmingly secular people who say men give birth. Isn't it?
that true? So, just some thoughts. Um, the uh, you didn't get the most important things in life. Okie doke. Let's see here. Oh yes, the video question. That's Megan's arm, but not the Megan. All right, here we go. Hi, Dennis. Hi. My name is Alejandra Rodriguez, and I'm from Los Angeles, California. My question for you is, across all of your international travels, have you found a correlation between um, a strong middle class and an ensuing um, domestic stability in said country? Thanks. Thank you. A lot of bright people out there. Did you know that? And they, it's really touching. Oh, you're, you're cheering me that I got it right. I lifted the, the picture off the screen. It's very interesting when you're applauded for something a four-year-old can do proficiently. I have no comment on that. So, yes, middle class is the road to domestic stability. I live in California, which increasingly is poor and rich. I'll give you one example of what was just done in the last two years to ensure that the rich got richer and the poor got poorer and the middle class got clobbered. For reasons that do not exist. In other words, there's no rational reason if that's not redundant. They said that the big stores, Walmart and, that, and the like, CVS, these stores can remain open during COVID, but not Joe's Hardware Store. Small businesses were crushed in the hundreds of thousands in America and not everywhere, not just America, because of the stupid policy of shutting everything down. But you could go into big, big stores. So they got richer and the middle class got clobbered. And then the government said, oh, well, we'll give you a lot of money. We'll give, or give you some money because you were, you were hurt during, they called it COVID. But they should never say COVID and nor should you say lockdown. It's the lockdowns that killed things, not COVID. So they gave them money. And it's a trap, because when the government gives you money, it's not free, believe me. Never. So, the, a strong middle class, the, a strong middle class is the product of a free economy. Simple. When people are free to do what they want with their money, they make stores, they make restaurants, they make shops. They make travel uh, groups, you know, tours. Tourism is the world's largest business, if I'm not mistaken. Isn't that interesting? Well, another thing, the lockdowns killed. I was against the lockdowns, as you probably know. Well, I don't know if you would know. If you're a longtime listener or watcher, yes, you would know. April 2020, I, I tweeted out, and I don't tweet much that this, the lockdowns are the greatest mistake in world history, the greatest world mistake. I made clear, I'm not talking about the greatest evil, I said greatest mistake, and it was. Sweden didn't lock down. 
and it did did relatively truly well. Not not one kid fell behind in academia because schools were open the entire in the entire time for kids up to the age of sixteen. People could go into restaurants. I remember when Western newspapers would show, look at this in Stockholm. People are just sitting out in the cafes like things are normal. Yes, they they had a higher death rate than other Scandinavian countries, although a lower death rate than most European countries. But it was because of they got clobbered in nursing homes. Very, very old Swedes died. It's a tragedy, but it doesn't negate the point that the lockdown for people under 90, so to speak, was was awful. Middle class is very important. Okay. By the way, Alejandra Rodriguez, that's sort of like Bob Smith in in American terms, I got to believe, right? Okay. Ferdinand, 53 years old, Columbus, Ohio. Can marriage survive with couples who have different views on politics? One on the right and one on the left. Family is established with three kids. Yes, of course it can survive. My question about marriage has never been, how can a marriage survive? It is, how can a marriage be happy? Of course, a marriage... There are people who have been married for 50 years who can't stand each other. These people survived. That marriage survived. But I don't think that's the, that's the, the, the key question. Can a marriage survive? Can it thrive? Can't, now, and I don't mean have no rough spots. Of course, it'll have rough spots. I, I, I'm well aware of that fact. But And rough spots doesn't mean it's not ultimately a happy marriage. Every individual has rough spots. I've had rough spots, but I've had a happy life. Or, or how's this? Take health. You have the flu and you, you, you have 102 a fever, which is pretty high. And you're coughing and you're nauseous and you're throwing up. And somebody says, how are you? The actually good answer is, I'm fine, but I'm sick right now. <laughs> so that could be for a marriage. We have a good marriage, but it's, it's in trouble at this moment. That's fine. But if it's constantly in trouble, then it's not a happy marriage by definition. So I'm being very precise about your wording. Can the marriage survive if they have opposite views on major issues? Yes, it can survive. The question is, at what price? And it's, a, it's an unanswerable question because it's so painful. I talk about this with people on my radio show regularly. See, if you're dating and you differ on major issues, you should definitely break up. I mean, marriage has its challenges when you agree with each other on major issues. But you're already married with three children. So my, my tendency is to say, try to work it out. Don't talk about the issues that you major differ, majorly differ on. But that's also problematic. It's a big price. 
There was one thing, really one thing I really knew I wanted when I got married, that I didn't have to censor myself. And by the way, it's a very interesting topic. I'll put that down because that's an interesting one. A lot of men censor themselves about, about themselves sexually because they're afraid about how their wife would react if they really knew their nature. I, I know this for a fact because I, I speak to men so often. And I knew as a kid, I don't want to hide who I am as a man from my wife. That's why, by the way, just for the record, I have a, a, a three-part series on, on male sexual nature. It's at the Prager store. It's not, it's not a Prager U thing, but it doesn't matter. The radio and the Prager U are very often doing things together. And you might, you might, you might want to uh, listen to it, especially women. It, 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 was, it was for women. To understand a man for a woman is like understanding a gorilla for a human being. None of us really understand gorillas or zebras. I'm just using the gorilla because they look like us. But it, it doesn't matter what. <laughs> Male sexual nature is so foreign to a woman that... She, she needs to take a course in it. It's like learning a, a foreign language. Now you say, well, it, it's true about women for men. But that, no, no, no. There are aspects of women that truly are foreign to men, but that's not one of them. The, the, the one who is the foreigner is the male in this, in this arena. So if, if you have to hide what you think about uh, the direction of your country uh, and, and the world and, and economics and COVID and race, if you have to hide that or you'll have a fight, that's a big price to pay. On the other hand, by the question, it's clear you, you don't want to divorce. And I, and I commend you for that. The painful thing to me if I differed with my wife on fundamental questions, would not be that we differ. It would be that I thought that I was married to someone for whom reason was not determinative. That would be the most painful part. What's our timing? 27. Good. Eric Weibel, Benton, Pennsylvania, 20 years old. Hello, Dennis, all the crew and the best-known dog in the country. Otto's not here. I'll tell him you said hello. What are some habits you encourage everyone to build daily, weekly, etc.? I'm curious what you'll say. I'm very grateful for what you do. Your happiness book helped me out of a self-destructive downhill spiral two years ago, and I've been a fan ever since. You know, I never mention, uh, the only books I mention are my Bible commentary because they're meant to be transformative, the rational Bible. But I, every one of my books is like one of my treasured children. <laughs> and my happiness book has affected a lot of people's lives. It's called Happiness is a Serious Problem. I'm, I'm very happy it helped you. That's why I wrote it. I worked so hard, as I do on all my books, I got a, 
I got a, uh, what do they call it um, when they give you an advance? I got an advance from, I think, yeah, Random House, major publisher. And I didn't give the book in in time, and I had to give them the whole advance back, which, of course, I had already spent. But I, I wouldn't publish a book till it was ready, even if I lost money. Then HarperCollins picked it up. HarperCollins and I had only one argument. They didn't like the title. Title is happiness is a serious problem. They said it was a downer <laughs> for a happiness book. It should have a happy title. That was their thinking. And I'll never forget what I said to them. I said, I'm just curious. Is it true or not that happiness is a serious problem? Oh, of course it's true. I said, thank you. That's why it's the title. Even in there, I wanted to be real. So anyway, good. I'm glad that touched you. So habits, it's an interesting question. First of all, any good habit is a good thing. Whatever the good habit will be, you will read something every day. You will, you will, uh, you will do some volunteer work every week. Any, anything good that is done habitually is incredibly helpful in your life. You will exercise. You, you, you will anything on a, on a regular basis. That's good. But uh, the first thing that came to mind when I read your question was think of what you are grateful for every day. And even if you want to write it down, that's transformative because grateful people are happy people and ungrateful people by definition are unhappy people. So sometime to reflect on what you're grateful for. I'll, I'll leave you all with this thought. It hit me a few, few months ago on my radio show. When you go to college, you get a, a BA in ingratitude. Go to graduate school, you get a master's in ingratitude. And if you stay further, you get a PhD in ingratitude. That is the reason so many people in America are unhappy. Ingratitude makes you angry and makes you unhappy. Gratitude makes you healthy and happy. Why this country, with all its opportunity for almost all of its citizens, would produce so many ingrates? That's a good one for another time. Got to say goodbye. I'd rather you want more than leave. Or as I say at speeches, I long ago decided the speaker should leave before the audience does. Thanks for watching. Bye. Thank you for watching this video. To help keep PragerU videos free, please consider making a tax-deductible donation.